come to the end of our series on Psalm 23. This will be the last one as we focus on verse 6. So open up to Psalm 23. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And here is the verse that we will be focusing on, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In 2016, an Israeli man petitioned for a restraining order against God. He showed up as the plaintiff at a court hearing in Haifa, which is a city just north of Israel, as he laid out his uh, complaints, and his name was David Shoshan. He stood before the court, and he said that God had been treating him, quote, harshly and not nicely, that he had actually called the police several times to talk about the alleged crimes against God, and, and the police had showed up at his house about 10 times. They finally told him to take out a restraining order, so he did. Now, the judge threw it out, rejected the restraining order, said the request was delusional, and that he needed help outside of the courts. Now, we hear a story like that, and we, we chuckle. But at the core of it is something that's absolutely foundational to life. Your life is founded on something. It may be founded on a certain ambition. It may be founded on a lifelong goal or some sort of pursuit, that that's what you found your life on. In verse 6 of Psalm 23, David identifies that something. That's something that is the, the rock-solid, never-shifting, never-cracking foundation all the days of his life, and that is God's pursuit of him. God's pursuit of him. What is life ultimately founded upon? It's founded upon God's pursuit. First, it's founded upon his relentless pursuit. First half of verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The verb follow is a really strong word in Hebrew, which is the original language of the Old Testament. It's a, it's a word that means to chase or to pursue. So goodness and mercy Chase me, pursue me all the days 
of my life? Right? Now, two important questions that arise when we talk about this, this pursuit of God. The first is, what's the character of his pursuit? And then what's the frequency of his pursuit? So we'll start with the character of his pursuit. God's pursuit, as David writes, is saturated with goodness and mercy. The word for mercy is actually hesed, which is that Hebrew word you see throughout the Old Testament that means God's steadfast love, never giving up, never relenting. God's pursuit is characterized by goodness all the time. Jesus writes of this goodness in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter seven, verses nine through 11, he says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Psalm 84:11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk upright. No good thing does God withhold. His, his pursuit is characterized by goodness all the time. Now, the second question, what's the frequency of his pursuit? David says, goodness and steadfast love shall pursue me all the days of my life. As David says, every day of my life, God's goodness and steadfast love chase me Pursue me. Now, understand, David's the one that wrote this psalm. David's the one that penned verse six. And remember David's life. Right? He was the king of Israel. But before he was king, Saul was king of Israel. And when God rejected Saul as king and anointed David as king, Saul began to pursue David, to kill him. What's interesting is all of, in, in First and Second Samuel, all of the verses that talk about Saul pursuing David, the verb that's used for pursue is the same verb that David uses here in verse six of Psalm 23, which gets translated follow. An example, First Samuel 23, verse 25, and when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness. Pursued, same verb that David uses in verse six of Psalm 23. In other words, David knew what it was like to be pursued and chased by trouble and hardship. He knew that well. At the same time, he knew what it was like to be chased and pursued by God's goodness and steadfast love at the very same time. So you think about David when he was on the run for his life. What he writes here is that while I was on the run for my life, as Saul pursued me, God's goodness and steadfast love was pursuing me at the same time. I wouldn't have to convince any of you of the reality that hardship and trouble 
chases you and pursues you. Maybe more or less depending on the season of life. But you know what it's like to go through a season in life where you say, I can't catch a break. I can't catch a break. It's one thing after another. Hardship and trouble just keeps chasing me and chasing me. I can't get free from it. Whether it's the annoying troubles. My, my car broke down again. I had to take it to the shop. And then three days later, the air conditioner in my house broke. And this time I have to replace the unit. Or I went to the dentist and I got to get another root canal. We know what this annoying troubles that just continue to pursue and chase, but then there's the more crushing troubles. Like, I don't know where I'm going to put my child in school because of the struggles he or she has. Or I don't know if my child's going to last this year. He got suspended again. Or I've got another lump that has to be biopsied. Or another one of my loved ones died because of COVID or died because of cancer, right? Those crushing troubles. You and I know what it's like to be pursued by trouble. That is actually the universal human condition. It's the universal condition. It is the common ground that everyone on the face of this earth has together and understands. That you are pursued by hardship and trouble. Can you say that you at all times are also pursued by the goodness and steadfast love of God? Can you say, I am pursued by the goodness of God, I am pursued by the steadfast love of God, and I can't, I can't shake free from it? At the same time, the reason that we struggle to consistently believe that God's goodness pursues us all the time is because we confuse goodness of God with earthly comfort. The goodness of God does not always equal earthly comfort. The shepherding imagery in this psalm that David uses is really helpful in making this distinction. Sheep are prone to the danger of parasites and disease all the time. And a shepherd, in an attempt to protect their sheep from these parasites that can infect the sheep and ultimately kill them, a shepherd will take the sheep, sheep and rams, one by one, and they'll put them in this this trough, this dipping trough, it's a vat of antiseptic liquid. And they have to completely submerge the sheep. Not just body, but head, ears, eyes, nose. They submerge the sheep, and when the sheep try to get out, there are sheepdogs there snapping and barking and keeping them in this vat of antiseptic liquid. It's a horrifying experience for the sheep. But without the periodic treatment, they will fall victim to these parasites, to infection, disease, ultimately to death. So it's a horrifying experience, but it's for their good. It's uncomfortable, but it's for their good. One Christian writer who was witnessing this process 
with the shepherd and the sheep, wrote this. I've had some experiences in my life which have made me feel very sympathetic to those poor rams. I couldn't figure out any reason for the treatment I was getting from the shepherd I trusted. And he didn't give me a hint of explanation. As I watched the struggling sheep, I thought, if only there were some way to explain. But such knowledge is too wonderful for them. It is high, they cannot attain unto it. The goodness and the steadfast love of God pursue you all the days of your life, even in the moments that are frightening, even in the moments that are uncomfortable, even in the moments that you can't understand. What is your life founded upon? God's relentless pursuit that is good and constant. But second, God's relational pursuit. Last half of verse six. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This captures the relational pursuit of God, and it does so in two ways. It talks about the goal of God's pursuit in your life, and it talks about the outcome of God's pursuit in your life. First, the goal. David says, I, I shall dwell or return to dwell. The, the verb here, dwell, is, is the verb that speaks of returning. It's the verb that speaks of repentance. David's saying, I, I shall return to dwell in the house of the Lord. The prophet Isaiah picks up this goal of God's relational pursuit in Isaiah 30, 15. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling and you said, no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away and we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. This whole chapter 30 in Isaiah is speaking of Israel's, God's people, their stubborn refusal to turn to him. Speaks of their just stubborn bent on their own will. And what the context is when Israel was threatened by a surrounding nation, Instead of turning to God for protection, they would turn to another nation and strike a treaty to protect them. And in Isaiah 30 is them turning to Egypt to try to get protection. So what they're doing is they're turning to their own strategies, their own strength, their own will, instead of returning to God and trusting God's protection. The goal of God's pursuit is repentance. God pursues you so that you will turn from your way and turn back to him. C.S. Lewis is a man who ran his own way for many years until he finally, as an adult, yielded and submitted to Christ. He tells this great illustration. It's actually an illustration that I can, as of two and a half months, 
really connect with now and completely relate to because we are now dog owners. C.S. Lewis says, suppose you have a dog on a leash and you're taking it for a walk and you come up to a post, whether it's a street lamp or a street sign or maybe a smaller tree, what oftentimes happens as you're walking along? Right? The dog will walk on the opposite side of the post and get all wrapped up in the post. At which point, what do you do? Well, you go to pull the dog back so it'll get on the correct side of the post so we can move forward. What happens when you try to pull the dog back? Yeah, no. Not doing that, right? No, the dog resists because the dog wants to move forward and you are pulling in direct opposition to his will. Because the dog believes that the only way forward is to push ahead. And yet, if the dog will yield and submit, being pulled back, then the dog will be able to, to move forward. C.S. Lewis, in summarizing this illustration, says this. So what should you do when you fall into sin? Ask for forgiveness and and redirection. You may go the wrong way again, and again God may forgive you as the dog's master may extricate the dog after he has tied the whole lead around the lamppost. But there is no hope in the end of getting where you want to go except by going God's way. Now, what does that look like for you to push ahead? to push ahead with your own will and not turn and not repent. Let me give you a couple examples. You want approval. You want affirmation as a human being. And so you seek every possible relationship that's out there to get that kind of affirmation or approval. Even if it means compromise, even if it means putting yourself in bad situations, you, you want that affirmation so bad that you're going to push and push to find some relationship where you can get it from. Or uh, you want comfort. You want comfort so badly that you will go to whatever extreme there is to find some degree of earthly comfort. So you push and you push your way or you want security. And so you look at every possible scenario that could affect you or your family, and you, you put barrier and barrier in place, and financially and emotionally, whatever it may be, and you just build these barriers to create security, and you keep pushing and pushing. Or you want power. And so you just lock down control on everything. Anything that you can find that you can control to give you that sense of, I got power. What happens when we push and push and push in these areas, which by the way, all four of those, affirmation, comfort, security, power, those are all God-given desires. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. But when you try to seek fulfillment of those desires in your own way, according to your own will, you get wrapped around the post 
And ultimately, those desires aren't satisfied. Repentance is turning to God, turning back, yielding to his way. And when you yield to his way, those desires are actually satisfied. You say, how? Let's go to the second part of God's relational pursuit. And that is the outcome of his pursuit. David says, I shall dwell or I shall return, repent, yield of my way and turn to God's way. I shall return to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does David mean by house of the Lord? Does he mean the physical temple in the Old Testament? Is he speaking of it more figuratively? Well, either way, you get to the same place. But David, the temple wasn't built at this point, right? David didn't build the temple. Solomon would build the temple. But David knew of the tabernacle, which was the portable temple in the wilderness as God's people came out of Egypt into the promised land. And in the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant, which was the symbol, the representation of God's presence with his people. David took the Ark and had brought it to Jerusalem. So David understood the presence of God. In fact, a couple Psalms later, he speaks of it in Psalm 27, 4. And here he speaks of the house of the Lord in a more figurative sense. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And David's speaking figuratively at this point. There's no temple yet. He's speaking of the presence of God. And any time in the scriptures, from tabernacle to temple to house of the Lord, those are never ultimately referring to a place. They're referring to the presence of God, to presence and relationship. Jesus says such in, in John 2, 19. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? The body of Christ, God's people, is the temple. Revelation 21, 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb meaning in the new heavens and the new earth, there will not be a physical temple building because the temple is God. It's the presence of God. The outcome of God's pursuit of you is ultimately relationship. The God of the universe wants a relationship with you and he has made that possible through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. The manifestation of God's pursuit. Listen to how Jesus describes the outcome of God's pursuit in your life in John 14, verses two to three. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be 
also. Jesus says this on his way to the cross. He was going to the cross to prepare this place. Now, what is the place that he speaks of? Well, notice what he said. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. The place is Jesus. The place is the person of Christ. It's a relationship with Christ. And this brings us back full course from talking about those desires that you have that you can push forward in just stubborn rebellion according to your own will, whether it's affirmation or comfort or security or power. You push forward to get those things. You get locked up around the post, realizing that the only way that you ultimately have those desires satisfied is by repenting and turning to God and turning to Jesus Christ because Jesus gives you the affirmation you need. Jesus gives you the comfort that you're longing for. Jesus gives you the security in a very insecure world that you need. Jesus gives you the power and control that you long for. It's all found in Christ. So when you repent and you yield to God and you submit to his way, what you're submitting to is a person. It's Jesus Christ. And Jesus cannot take you to himself until he first deals with your sin. And that's why he went to the cross, to pay the penalty for your sin, to remove it so that he could take you to himself. That's the only way you can have a relationship with God, with Christ, by repentance and turning to him. I love how one author puts it. He says, it is not the place, but the vitality of the relationship which transforms. It's your relationship with Christ that is transforming. So how should God's pursuit, the character of his pursuit, his goodness, the frequency of his pursuit, all the days of your life, the goal of his pursuit to get you to turn and repent, the outcome of his pursuit, relationship, how should this impact your daily life? The so what? What's the so what of God's pursuit in your life? Let me give you three areas of impact. Number one, God's pursuit of you, his relentless and relational pursuit should impact the way that you struggle. It should impact the way that you struggle when you are pursued and chased by trouble that you understand in that very same moment that you are being pursued and chased by the goodness and steadfast love of God. When you understand that, then you know that the pursuit of trouble can never consume you. Confidence in the pursuit of God does not take away the struggle, but it gives you hope in the midst of the struggle rather than despair. Second area of impact, it should impact the way you repent of your sin, the way that you actually repent of your sin. God's pursuit of you is relational, which means that your returning or repenting should be relational and not merely behavioral. 
Repentance involves behavioral change. It certainly does. But why is there behavioral change? Ultimately, so that your relationship, your fellowship with God can be restored. Say, what's the difference between behavioral pursuit or behavioral repentance and relational repentance? Let me give you a couple examples. It's the difference between God, I confess I drank too much. Please forgive me and help me limit my alcohol consumption. That's behavioral repentance versus relational. God, I confess I drank too much because I love the God of pleasure and comfort more than I love you. Please forgive me for my infidelity and my unfaithfulness. I love you. That's relational repentance. Or another example, it's the difference between God, I confess I lied to my friend. Please forgive me and help me tell the truth. That's behavioral repentance. Relational. God, I confess I lied to my friend because I love the God of approval and affirmation more than I love you. Please forgive me for my infidelity and unfaithfulness. God's relational pursuit of you should produce relational repentance from you. Because the outcome of your repentance is not, now I'm gonna do the right thing. Yes, it's a new obedience for sure. But ultimately the outcome is renewed fellowship and intimacy with the God who made you. Last area of impact, it should impact the way you raise your children. Back to the question, what is your life founded upon? In a relationship, there's always two people. And in a relationship, there's always at any moment, typically, there's one who's initiating and there's one who's responding. It's the same in your relationship with God, except God is always the initiator. God is always the pursuer. You are always the responder. Here's the question in your life, and this is how it's going to relate to your home. What do you put the heavier emphasis on? Do you put the heavier emphasis on God's pursuit or on your response? Both are important, but the scriptures from start to finish put the emphasis on God's pursuit because it's God's pursuit that produces your response. Your response doesn't produce God's pursuit. So here's the question in your home by the way that you speak and by the way that you act, you are teaching an emphasis. You don't have a choice there. In other words, by the way you live your life with your kids, you are teaching them an emphasis. If the heavier emphasis is on your response and therefore their response, Generally speaking, you will produce children who are more insecure, more anxious, more guilt-ridden, more disillusioned at some point. If the heavier emphasis is on the pursuit of God, God's pursuit of you and of your children, if that's the, that's the atmosphere in your home, then you will have children 
that experience joy, security, peace, a genuine love for God. The emphasis is on God's pursuit. Is your life founded upon God's relational and relentless pursuit of you through Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, would you forgive us for our stubborn ways? We're a stubborn people. We push ahead. We're convinced we know the best way. We are convinced that our way is what will produce the affirmation, the comfort, the security, the power we're looking for. And we confess that at the end of the day, it, it doesn't give us ultimately what we're looking for. Because, God, all of those are only found in a relationship with you, which is made possible through Jesus Christ. Father, there are those here today who are pushing hard, refusing to yield. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would pursue and convict and draw them so that they would yield to you, that they would turn to you, Jesus, and trust you. Father, if we think that the pursuit is kind of an abstract concept that's hard to get our hands around, you knew that, and so you gave us this meal called the Lord's Supper that is the very tangible representation of your pursuit that comes through Jesus Christ, that culminates in Jesus Christ. So as we enjoy this meal, would you help us to rest? Rest in you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.